Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delbert Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to uh, hear from you today. You know, I've been working on that now for, what, four, five, six I can't remember when our broadcast started. We, uh, we first posted on the Lectionary Lab back in 2010, and I think we've been posting Lectionary Lab podcast pretty close to 10 years. Um, and I'm not quite the guy that used to do, are you ready to rumble? But I keep working on Delmer Chilton. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, It's good to see you and uh, get up with you this week. We are going to do what we do, which is talk about some text. These are for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, July the 2nd, 2023. Uh, as we often say, and it pretty much from this point forward, I'm just going to let it go without saying, but I know it's the weekend of Independence Day celebration in America, July the 4th, whatever you want to call it. Uh, if any of you need to do something with that, do something with that. But uh, we're just going to stick to the text today. Tell yep. us what you got on your mind, Bubba, as we get ready to preach this week. Well, as I, as I looked over these texts, and I, I, I know that I have a, a tradition of sorts of sometimes doing one theme and often doing maybe two when we're in the mm-hmm. semi-continuous and the complementary text. Well, today I'm reminded of going by the office of the systematic theology professor at Lutheran Theological Southern Seminary, the great Michael Root, and saying, well, I was thinking on this uh, systematics paper, I might take this track or I might take this track. I named three or four tracks. I said, what would you think is the the best direction to go? And he said, pay your money and take your choice. <laughs> Just pick uh, one, son, and stick with it. one and stick with it. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much it today. Uh, yeah. It's hard to find a prevailing theme. Um, I would say that uh, if you, have, you want one that will help guide your thinking, I, I think there's a one consistent sort of large theme uh, the interlocking question of can we trust God and can God trust us? Mm. Each of these texts sort of plays around with that deal. I mean, Genesis is very clearly that when it starts with God tested Abraham and the question for both sides from Abraham. Isaac's there, and obviously he's a person under threat. But the main question there is God is saying, how far can I trust? Abraham. And in order to trust God, Abraham has to think to himself, how far can I trust God? Right. There was, um, uh, yeah, there was uh, an old Bill Cosby comedy routine years ago. I used to listen to Bill Cosby a lot before. Unfortunately, he fell out of favor, uh, but he was a talented stand up. Uh, and his routine with Noah. And uh, the the guy saying, well, uh, how long uh, is it going to rain? And God saying, how long can you tread water? 
Uh, so now we have got how far can I trust you people? Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. The the Jeremiah, totally different situation with the Jeremiah and the other prophet. But it, it once you dig into the history, it comes down to what does it mean to trust God in terms of the covenant? Do we do whatever we want and assume mm. that God is going to take care of us because of the Davidic covenant? Or are there things on our side that part of trusting God is trusting God to judge and punish? Mm-hmm. And and how does that work? So there's that dynamic. Romans, can we be good without the threat of annihilation? Mm. Can God leave the room and trust us to be good? Uh, and in Matthew... Ultimately, this text, and I'm going to explore this a bit, is can we, as disciples, trust God to provide for us? That's really the core mm. of this story. So we'll we'll get to that. So question underneath, how much can we trust? There you go. How much does God trust us? So let's look at it. Genesis in. 22, 1 through 18. I reminded more of the title than the content of a book by Phyllis Tribble. Oh, text of terror. Now Excellent. she explored. She uh, explored uh, four biblical women, Hagar and Tamar, and others, and about the violence against them. This particular day of violence is at least proposed against Isaac, but it's but still a, yeah. in a tremendous text of terror. As you read this, part of you is going, "What?" Uh-huh. I mean, if we were not so familiar, some of us who've been around the church for a long time, and and those of us who are pastors who look at this, and we know how it comes out, we know what the end is, so we may miss the the mounting terror. But it's so beautifully written, wonderfully written. This mounting terror, and what is Abraham going to do? And this poor kid, and what is what is God doing? Is God a monster? What is going on? Mm-hmm. All of that element in preaching needs to be there as you build the sermon. Yeah. What is God doing? And and who are we to serve a God like that? I mean, a lot of people who are very vehemently atheists come to a point, not particularly about the story, but about the world, and they finally concluded God can't be trusted. Because mm-hmm. look at the world. Not Isaac, but look at all the children dying. Look at all yeah. of the innocents who pass away. What is this about? And yeah. this is this is the mounting terror here. This person whom God has promised to bless is in the midst of a terrorizing situation. Mm-hmm. And he almost feels you almost feel like Abraham has a gun to his head. Mm-hmm. Well <laughs> you know, I what, what that's do I, do it. If I say no. That is all about the tension that that builds in this text and the tension of the situation. And we got to be really careful not to just wipe it away and dismiss that by yeah. saying, Oh, don't worry about this. You know, God gave his son too. So, but, and, and just sort of blow by yes. what's going on be here. Careful. No, 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 don't do that. This is terrible for the young man laid upon the altar. That It is truly has to be a text of terror, no matter how much you want to ascribe to Isaac, trust in his father and perhaps trust in God. But it has to be a terrible place for Abraham as a father. And I often come to this for myself saying, I cannot imagine as a parent being put in this position. My my whole feeling would be, take me instead. You want somebody, take me, ask me to plunge the knife in my own heart. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you, you don't alluded, dismiss it. 
You alluded briefly to one of the things I wanted to mention was we need to resist the temptation to read this too Christianly. Yes. It's very possible and tempting to do so. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we can talk about how God provided the sacrifice, you know, and Jesus, the, you know, the ram, the, you know, we get mixed up on the, on the animal husbandry there and that ram and lamb. Well, it's sheep. It's the same thing. Whatever. (laughs) In the general uh, genesis species. (laughs) Provides the sacrifice. Yeah. I've been reading a book recently. I'm, I didn't write his name down, and I'm bad about forgetting things. He teaches Old Testament at Wheaton, Illinois, and he's he's writing about hermeneutics in the Hebrew Scriptures. And he says, this line that's just stuck with me, he said, a text cannot mean what it never meant. Hmm. A text cannot mean what it never meant. So you have to look at this text in its context of several thousand years ago, well before Christ, and the meaning of the author to the people being that and the compilers, because it's an oral story passed down and compiled, mm-hmm. is what the author intended for the audience of that time. And we have to dig for that. Now, that doesn't mean we can't look at it and find literary allusions mm-hmm. to our own situation, but we can't say that's what the text means. Right. You know, we can yep. we can do that. It's got to be careful about that because, as I said, a text cannot mean what it never meant mm-hmm. to start with. We look back and see the connection. So one of the one of the key things to pay attention to is the very first verse. One of those situations like that is the Bible tells us what we're reading, what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Abraham doesn't know that this is a test. You know, God tested Abraham. See, we're in the situation, back when I was a kid, you remember when, and I don't know, they don't do this anymore, but they used to be, they'd come on the screen, this signal, and go beep, 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 and it said, this is, this is a test, test yes. of the nuclear warning system. Mm-hmm. Abraham didn't get the notice that this was a test. <laughs> As far as he knew, the nukes were falling, you know, that's Mm -hmm. part of the deal. So we're looking at it and we're saying, what kind of test is this? So we're meant to wonder as we go through, this is a Mm -hmm. test. And, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me was the question of Abraham's action. And Abraham says basically three things. Here I am. Three times. When he's called, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, here's what I want you to do. And he didn't say anything. He just, you know, loads it up and off we go. Yeah. Going up the mountain, Isaac, you know, eventually, and I, I imagine Isaac about five, six years old, five, Isaac says, Daddy, you forgot the lamb. <laughs> said, where the lamb at, Daddy? Yeah. And Abraham said, here I am. Son, and he says, "Where's where's the sacrifice?" He said, "God will provide." And then later, as he's ready to plunge the knife, again he hears Abraham, Abraham, and he says, "Here I am." Right. I think I think sermonically, um, not not the, necessarily the three times, but the well, part of the whole issue for the author here 
how do we respond when God calls? Mm -hmm. And the first thing out of our mouth is, here I am. Which is to say, I'm, I'm listening. I'm here. I'm, I'm with you. What do you need? Mm-hmm. And then you go from there. I, I'm just still exploring that in my head. Well, it's uh, I think I, that's very important repetitiveness in this story. Yeah, you're sending me off thinking, well, there's something here about Abraham's availability, not only to God, but to his son, uh, his openness to the moment. You know, what does that mean for someone to be so open? Here I am. Um, he has sort of predetermined his response in a way. Uh, yeah. And yet he is sort of uh, emotionally re- redirected when his son, you know, asks, where's the lamb? And he said, well, yes, son, I understand that's a concern. God will provide. And then at the moment, as you say, with the, the knife in hand uh, poised to be able to hear the call again and say, I'm here. Okay, I want you to stop. Phew. <laughs> But it is something about being in the moment, being open. I'm like you. I'd want to play around with that. Well, you begin with God tested Abraham. Then you have the ending of this story. So this is obviously a very oral tradition story. It starts with God tested Abraham. Then Mm -hmm. you tell him. Then there's kind of this conclusion, which is why he called that place God will provide. You know, and this issue of God providing our need to respond. So a Mm -hmm. couple of questions to explore. I have more questions than answers with this text. It just always fascinates me. Um, is God saying, do you love me? Is God needy enough to see how much, what is he testing? Mm-hmm. You know, what is what exactly is God testing? That's a question I think to, to ponder with. And I think he's well, not love, but he's, testing Abraham's willingness to obey. How, how far will Abraham go in, in terms of the covenant? On the other hand, Abraham is, has to be saying to himself, how far do I trust God in this process? And I think this is this te- this story is set up for as I personally don't know that this was stay with me. I'm not sure. I don't care whether it was an actual event or not. Mm-hmm. I think this story has to do with the que- examining ourselves. Each of us look at ourselves and say, "How far are we willing to go? Mm-hmm. What what is our trust level, and what will we give up?" What are we willing to give up? I mean, that's mm-hmm. this is not a def, this is a descriptive story, not a prescriptive. This is a story that helps us examine our own faith level, and there's no an, no definitive mm-hmm. answer. There is a self examination, yeah, examine piece to this. Well, this this tension, this back and forth, has been going on throughout the story of Genesis to this yeah. point, especially with Abraham, uh, and yeah. we've noted before Abraham. Yes, the sort of progenitor of faith here, but far from perfect. Abraham wavered a lot right? in yeah. in both his trust in God, because Isaac was the, the, the promised one for how long? 25 years or more. 
and you had the, the Hagar adventure, as we, we saw last week. You had uh, Abraham, oh, this is not my wife, this is my sister. Here, here's Abraham <laughs> wavering along yeah. the way. Sarah is wavering along the way. And that is both the, uh, the tension of do we trust God and how, how much can God trust us? How faithful yeah. uh, were Sarah and Abraham? They wobbled. And from their perspective, God was dragging God's feet sometimes. Yeah. So here we go. Now, that same tension, which we've seen expressed multiple times, is <laughs> sort of laid on yeah. the altar, so to speak. It's front and center. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another piece of this is, is the, the storytelling is, has to do they waited so long. Is they going to have the rug pulled out from under them? This yeah, is the ultimate thing that had been promised, and is God going to take mm-hmm. that away? And another question I have as I look at Abraham and his somewhat serene, uh, the picture drawn of him is somewhat serenely going through this. Did he ultimately just think God was going to do, give him a way out some way? He would just, I got to keep doing this. But underneath, he said, God's not going to make me kill my son. It's just not going to happen. In his mind, I don't know. I don't know. He goes through all the steps. And and just as an aside, there are commentators who believe this story was created as an anti-child sacrifice story to say to the Jewish people, this is not who we are. Yeah. Uh, as they, they lived in the midst of uh, civilizations, which did have an element of child sacrifice and, uh, in their worship. And so this story may have arisen with Abraham and Isaac attached as a, a witness that says, this is not who we are. I would not explore that very deeply as a sermonic piece. Just Yeah, I'm not prepared to, yeah, to go with that. I will There's mention, no need. Yeah. There's no need in this culture is what I'm getting. There's no right. need to go there. You might bring that up in Sunday school. What's really mm-hmm. core here well, and if you, is to look at our own, own relationship with God and what is God asking of us and absolutely. how far do we go and... What are we holding back? And, you know, those kind of questions. This is definitely a major point in the uh, Abrahamic canon of stories. It, it's a story that plays an important part in the Quran uh, and yes. sacrifice of the beloved son. In this case, features Ishmael. Isaac yes. is mentioned and Isaac is mentioned coming as a reward because of Abraham's faithfulness. Uh, right. Sarah 37, if you ever want to check it out, it is kind of interesting. But most of the same themes are there. This is, right. you know, God's testing. So however the story comes and, and whether you believe there was this literal moment or whatever, it is certainly attached to the Abraham tradition here. And Psalm 13 is a tight uh, six-verse psalm that, that is paired with this. And, and it starts off with verses one and two about how long am I going to have to deal with this? You know, this anguish of the heart and soul is, where are you, God? Are you hidden? What are you talking about and all this? And then, you know, answer me. Tell, give me an answer. You know, this, mm-hmm. and this is where I think you, you may think about Abraham as he's saying yes. What is he thinking as he's saying, I, I don't get this, but I'm going to keep following. And ultimately, right at that moment, he says, tell me what the hell is going on. <laughs> yeah. And he says, but I trusted. And then five and six is the after the after the event and saying, I trust in your steadfast love. 
my heart rejoices. So mm-hmm. kind of pairs up. That's how it's paired up there. Yeah. Um, fascinating. Uh, you know, it's I'm I'm loving preaching Genesis and Romans right now. One, and this yeah. is one, one or the other of those I'm going to explore this week and mm-hmm. just play around in there. So we moved to Jeremiah, and I think that um, one of the things to say in this text is history matters. Mm-hmm. Do not want to dump on uh, my my childhood church. I did that once in uh, in a preaching <laughs> class at, at Duke with a. Uh, uh, a well-respected Southern Baptist preaching professor, John and um, Carland, and um, I, I did about. We were supposed to do a, a faith biography, and I just dumped all over Lake Mountain. You know, sort of did some what mm-hmm. I thought very clever twenty-three-year-old lines, and and he said, "Yes, the amazing thing about that." is that in spite of their limitations, you did hear the gospel because here you are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Having said that, um, (laughs) this text from the book of Jeremiah, unless most of the preachers I had as a kid did not have a lot of uh, skill at moving outside the text into the historical situation, put it that way, so. This is one you really have to dig a little bit to know the historical situation to begin to get at, at some of the point. And the, the the historical situation was it's between invasions there in Jerusalem. And they had been invaded once and, and Babylon was threatening again. And so Hananiah was basically saying to others, you know, we just resist. Lord's going to take care of this. In two years, this will be over. A kind of optimistic, rosy nationalism based on an interpretation of the Davidic covenant that God will take care of us no matter what. And Jeremiah had been preaching doom and gloom, and it's going to be rough, and we better mm-hmm. get our act together. And basically what Jeremiah's been saying is, repent, or God will let them conquer us. And Hananiah said, we don't have to change a thing. We are God's covenant people, and God will take care of us. I don't know if it's exactly sarcasm that Jeremiah's going with here. I think he's kind of anguished and saying, I hope you're right. (laughs) I don't think you are. I hope you're right, but probably not. I I don't know. I I kind of favor a little prophetic smack talk going on here. I do. Uh, I do too. Oh, amen, brother Hananiah. I hope it'll do so. All the vessels of the house of the Lord will come back unbroken. All the exiles will come home. Man, that sounds good. But yeah, like like, uh, what Jeremiah's saying is. Yeah, yeah, like that's going to happen. Right, because he, he says, now, I don't know, but all these other prophets been talking about war and famine, blah, 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 blah. But you're prophesying you peace. Right. We'll see how it yeah. happens. See how it works out. Yeah. What do I know? <laughs> you know, it's a kind of sarcasm. <laughs> I think it's sarcasm. And what he's, what he's really getting at yeah. has to do with just because we have a Davidic covenant doesn't mean God has to bless whatever we do. And I think for this is this is my take is that I hear a lot of, of people talking about we're God's you know God and country Christian nation God has blessed us we're you know all these American exceptionalism as if 
that no matter how we treat, you know, our human rights problems, whatever we do, God's still going to bless us somehow because we have some kind of arrangement with God. And, you know, I'm, first of all, let me just say, just theologically speaking, that is a Reformed tradition. And Reformed comes from pres- down through Presbyterians, some Baptists, Calvinist Baptists, some, some uh, particularly New England Congregationalists, et cetera, et cetera, which was never a Lutheran understanding mm-hmm. that God makes covenants with modern nations. Just never been a part of that deal. But even if you give this notion that we have some kind of covenant relationship with God Mm -hmm. like ancient Israel did. Even then you look at it and it doesn't mean as Jeremiah clearly points out that God has chosen to bless us no matter what we do. Part of God's willingness here is to judge and to chastise when we fail to follow. And that's something people need to struggle with. I think what, what, what Jeremiah is really getting at, do we trust God to take us seriously and do we take God seriously? Right. Or are we like Oscar Wilde and say, God likes to forgive and I like to sin. It's a good arrangement. Mm-hmm. Are we indifferent <laughs> to that and mm-hmm. just assume that we're God's favorite grandchildren and he's going to indulge us no matter what? That's kind of where Hannah and I came down. Yeah, and I think that's the warning for preachers and the warning for congregants is the other side of that. Pre, quote, preaching faith. Oh, everybody just have faith. But not at the point of saying, yeah, we can act however we want to, and God will pick yeah. us up and God will save us. It's not that kind of not faith. That, that that's way. faith in the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot different. So you look at Psalm Psalm 89, it's paired with this, and it is a, a psalm about the Davidic com- covenant. And that's why it's paired here. And there's a large section of it, the part we don't read, which is about the collapse of a Davidic kingship. And basically this psalm um, is, is saying, yeah, we have this covenant, but it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. And when we get off track is when we think, it's a one-way street and it ceases being functional and becomes dysfunctional. And we begin to think that God is codependent with us. Mm. God is going to need to do that needs to do these things for us. And God, how to say this? No, God doesn't. <laughs> God has a covenant, but it's a covenant. It's an arrangement. God will forgive and God will lift us up. Yeah. But, yeah. Absolutely. So I think we've, we walked through that one pretty, that Jeremiah and that text pretty well. Yeah, I well, uh, just real quick, I, I love. There's a great line in this psalm that I just love, uh, verse fifteen. Happy are the people who know the festal shout and like the secret <laughs> handshake, you know, the, the elbow bumping. Yeah, I'm in. I know the yeah, festal, festal shout. Um, but the concept you were just speaking of, I've I mentioned before for for my folks, I'm doing something a little different this suburb. I'm, uh, rereading a lot of Walter Brueggemann. And I, I, this week I came across his idea of covenantal dialogue. Right. Covenantal dialogue. And that's what you're saying. This is yeah. a two-way street. And right. there is back and forth, uh, particularly we're reading Psalms, but in, in Hebrew scripture, there's this back and forth between the people, between God and the responses are intended to go both ways. That's what covenant 
is about. And so, yeah, right. we get a little covenantal dialogue here in the Psalms. So we, we turn to Romans and we're, we've got our second by no means uh, preached this week to the, uh, at the Episcopal Church in Hayesville. And I said, by no means be interpreted in the Southern idiom is Lord, no. <laughs> or Lord, second. help us. Oh, Lord, yeah. help us. No. Oh, Lord, no. Lordy, no, no, no. So the question is the same one that was addressed last week. And uh, it's Paul's response to complaints about his theology that it lacks ethical motivation. Ethical motivation. It's basically people are saying, that sounds right antinomian to me, Paul. Sounds like there are no rules. People can do whatever they want to. The the blood I've heard, the blood of Christ covers all. Mm-hmm. Or Lutheran seminarians taking Martin Luther out of context, have a big beer t shirt, the big foamy beer on it, and say it's <laughs> <laughs> Sin boldly. It sin says boldly. Sin boldly. They misunderstood what Luther was talking about. Yeah. Sin boldly, just do what you want. Mm-hmm. God loves you anyway. And Paul says, Lord, no, that's not what I meant. Let's think about this thing. Um, Paul in these, uh, this text is, has a kind of complex, and I hate to call it circular because I don't mean that technically mm-hmm. circular, but it does wander in a way that Roman and Greco-Roman linear logic doesn't. It's, uh, it's a Judeo type of reasoning, but he takes the image of slavery and talks about what are you a slave to? Mm-hmm. Now, slavery was not as common for us. And when we hear the word slavery, we, mm-hmm. of course, look to the American South up through 1865. And one could argue economically until 1950s and 60s. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at that carefully, but that's not the same image. It was a more fluid kind of thing. But the issue was the master can tell you what to do and who do you serve. And he basically says, you're going to have a master. Are you a slave to sin or a slave to the Lord? And which commitment do you make? And just because you have moved away from slavery to sin doesn't mean you have no master. Mm -hmm. And the master is grace, is goodness. That's the image he plays with. But even the people say, but if there's no law, if the law is not your master telling you what to do, and grace is for how does that, that how does that work? I was thinking thinking the other day, um, Bob Dylan, this is, you know, I want to play with some images from my 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 brain pop up. Bob Dylan had a had a good gospel album, had a song on it. You got to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Mm-hmm. That's part of Paul's point here. And he's trying to say, but the way in which one serves grace is totally different from the way one serves law. Well, how is that different? Um, well, one, one is the image, and um, there's a... On YouTube, look and hunt around with John Lennox. He's a wonderful British mathematician and Christian apologist. And uh, actually, he's 
Um, he's Irish, North, uh, originally Northern Ireland. And um, he has this image. He said, most people think of Christianity as like a final exam. And he was at a University of Birmingham where he was doing this discussion. And he said, it's like you did your A-levels and you got in. But you know, at the end of this, there's the finals that decide whether you get a degree and what kind of degree you get. And your most people's Christian image is you go through life and you get to the end and you die and there's a final exam. And it decides whether you get the degree or not and what level of degree. You, you'll see first class, second class, honors. Mm-hmm. All that. It's a difference. And he said, the trouble is, though 90% of the people in this country think that's what Christianity is, it's not. Mm. And he says, that's law. What do I have to do to pass that exam mm-hmm. at the end? Yeah. And what Paul is saying, no, what, what happens here is don't let your schoolwork get in the way of your education. You're in, the, if you want to continue that image, the university, and you're studying and you're learning because of you want to know. Mm-hmm. You want those skills. It just grows because you're not worried about that. That's a because, therefore. You were accepted. You were given the grace and you were welcomed in, God gave you the grace, and you live in it with a response of gratitude. And that leads to, if you have a genuine relationship, he said it's a relationship. If you have a genuine relationship with God, then you're not worried about passing the exam. Mm -hmm. You're worried about, and he said, I mean this in the best possible way, pleasing God. And I kept thinking, and and that's the dynamic going on in this text (laughs) is, do we need a celestial policeman or not? Yeah. Not not too long ago, I went to Asheville, which is a couple hours away, but it's our big city, unless I want to go the other way and go to Chattanooga, Tennessee, which Mm -hmm. is an hour and 45 minutes. Nashville's about an hour and a half. So anyway, I was driving in a more urban existence there. And I looked in the rearview mirror and that there were there weren't lights on top of the car, but it was a gray car with black trim and there was writing, which I couldn't read, on the the, the hood mm-hmm. of the engine. And my fearful self decided that was a patrolman. <laughs> Come in after you. Who followed me at an exact distance, everywhere I went for the next 15 minutes. You know how sometimes you'll just turn, I assume, and kept following, kept following, the road double, widened out. I was getting more and more nervous. What am I doing? Why? He mm-hmm. asked me, do something. I get to the light. It pulls up beside me, and I could read on the door, student driver. <laughs> And the teacher in the passenger seat rolled the window down and signaled me to roll down the window. And I rolled down the window. He thanked me profusely for for being such a good model of excellent road skills and driving. And I felt about two inches tall as I said, well, thank you. Thank you. And 
you don't know that I only drove like that because I thought any minute I was going to be squished by the hand of the law. The, you had the fear of the long arm of the law the might law. reach out and get you. Yeah. The question is, do, do we, we need that? Yeah. Do we need In order to live Christianly? Yeah. And Paul says, Lord, no. Right. What Christ dwells, the law, celestial lawgiver and supervisor lives outside of us. Christ lives in us. Yeah. And the Spirit guides us. That's it. Um, another literary image for that is, is uh, Flannery O'Connor's great Southern short story, A Good Man is Hard to Find. And uh, there's, there's, you know, it's a, one of her her grotesque, that some people say, scenes where they got these, <laughs> the misfit, he's called in the book, in the story. Got this grandmother and her grandchildren, you know, under, they they got them held in hostage and captive and threatening. And she was a mean old lady. You see that uh, leading up to this. She's just a mean old lady. Just wasn't anything. But then when it came to it, she acted to protect her grandchildren. And after he shot her, the misfit said she would have been a good woman if there it had been somebody around to hold a gun on her every minute of her life. Well, you're getting at it. Is is God somebody that do we need somebody to hold a gun on us? Yeah. Threaten to kill us every minute of our life in order to be good people? Yeah. Paul says no. And I think that's worth examining with with folk. Um, do are we good? Do we come because of fear of the Lord, or because of the indwelling love of Christ? There you go. Ex- uh, uh, excellent thinking. I will just add my uh, literary cultural reference. You've you've taken yeah. this via Bob Dylan. You've taken this via Flannery O'Connor. Those are uh, excellent. I'm going to go via Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> sin can be your master. Or God can be your master, or you could be the master of your own domain. (laughs) Uh, But we'll we'll just leave that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we'll leave that there um, and move on to the gospel. We will in a moment. I, I think you're right on. I think the master of one's own domain says, I don't need that person looking at me. But I don't need any Holy Spirit dwelling in me either. I make my own choice. There you go. And Paul says, it's one or the other. You do have to have somebody. You will be. Moving to the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Um, Matthew, first, there are several things to note in this short text. It's coming at the end of the second of the five Mm -hmm. uh, teaching moments. This has been a teaching moment in Matthew about instructions for a mission. It's interesting that uh, he gives instructions for a a mission, which is never then again mentioned in Matthew. Mm. We read about it in Mark and Luke, but instructions. And so I think for Matthew, this was aimed, his reporting of this was aimed at the early church community saying, what is, how are we to live within this context in perpetual mission? Now, it's important to note the audience to whom he's talking. We often act as though the things Jesus said in the Bible are aimed at everybody. 
what is known as the crowd. But if you watch carefully, mm-hmm. there's the crowd, there's the disciples, and sometimes there's just the 12. Right. This is the disciples, and he's talking to people who have already made some level of commitment to following Jesus. So in this case, he's made talking to the church in Matthew's vision. Not to everybody in the world, mm-hmm. to the church. And there are three categories of people it talks about being welcomed. Um, other than whoever welcomes you welcomes me. Yeah, so they're Christ. Christ. But then you've got uh, whoever welcomes a prophet, whoever welcomes a righteous person, and whoever welcomes these little ones with a cup of water. Isn't that a lovely image? So here's a couple of things to to know. The little ones are not children. Mm-hmm. Not here, certainly. Not here, not in this context. The little ones are Christians. Any you know, any any Christians, they are the disciples, the followers. And these instructions this is not ethical admonition to be hospitable. This is not aimed at the disciples saying you welcome people because if you welcome them, you might be welcoming Jesus unawares. You might be welcoming a prophet that you don't know as a prophet. You might be welcoming a righteous person. And of course, if you see one of those little children, well, you know, I had suffered little children to come unto me. So be anybody that's kind to, you know, children is a, is a, is a good to the Lord. That's not what's being said here. <laughs> oh, you had me going there, Bubba. I was ready to sign what up. What is being said here is trust God. Whoever welcomes, notice what it says, welcomes you. Right from the beginning, it says, whoever welcomes you, little ones who go out on my name, is welcoming me. Whoever welcomes me, welcomes God. So whoever welcomes you, that's, they're welcoming God and act like that. Um, you might be a prophet. You might be a righteous person. You're definitely one of my little ones. Mm-hmm. All of you. Trust God that those people will be there who will welcome you. This is what this text is encouraging. You've heard all these instructions I gave you about how to go on a mission and don't take anything with you and do this and do that. And finally he says, don't look, trust that God is out there welcoming you through these people. Right. And the question for us is, do we trust God enough to go forth and tell the good news without a lot of calculation and without a, not a lot of self-protection? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, don't be foolish. Uh, but... The church sometimes overcalculates, in my view, mm-hmm. of trying to figure out what we need to do to attract this demographic or that one. I got law. I used to know the uh, boomers, millennials, X, Y, Z. I'm lost now, and their characteristics and all of that. You can get lost in that analysis. Sure. I, I yeah. was a sociology major, and I love all that stuff. But at some point, you got to say, this is not brain surgery. <laughs> yeah. Preach the word, administer the sacraments, live and preach and tell grace in all that you do, and don't overthink it. Yeah. And trust that God mm-hmm. will 
will, will provide a welcome. Some will welcome you, some will not. But just keep on moving and know that some will welcome you. And that's, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. But we good stuff. Plenty good to think about today. And we hope y'all are able to think about it and get a hold of something and uh, have much success in communicating with your folks this weekend. Well, we've been working and uh, waiting for a little while now to be able to make an announcement. And we have, at least in the preliminary forum today, uh, the 2023 Bubba's Comeback Tour. Uh, is about <laughs> to commence. We've had some questions over the last few weeks. Hey, are y'all ever going to do a live retreat again, a preaching workshop? And we've been checking around, and the answer is yes, we're going to be able to do that this fall. Two Bibles and a Bible, the Lectionary Lab Preaching Workshop, in which we'll be preparing for Advent and Christmas season. We are going to be convening on September the 26th through the 28th. That's a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're going to be hosted at Luther Ranch, wonderful uh, facility in Tallapoosa, Georgia. That's about an hour, about an hour, about an hour (laughs) west of Atlanta, just a little over an hour from the Atlanta airport. Some of you might be able to consider coming in for that. And uh, we've got a number of people that have attended one of these before. We'd love to have some of you come back. We'd love to invite those that have never been to a preaching workshop before to consider uh, coming to join us on those three days. We start just after lunch on Tuesday, and we go right up until just before lunch on Thursday. And it is a fabulous time, not because Delmer and I are there holding forth, although we do a little bit, but mostly the opportunity to get face-to-face with other pastors, other preachers, get into these texts and explore them in a way that we just always find it to be very unique and powerful, don't we, Bubba? I am always amazed at at what happens when, uh, you know, people around a common cause and get there around the table. Uh, Besides, the, uh, the setting is beautiful. The food will be good. The fellowship will be great. There's time for kicking back out on the porch and uh, just relaxing and shooting the breeze. So we will uh, have the link ready for registration in about a week or so. We'll certainly send that out in a separate notice and we'll keep bringing it up on shows to come. But September 26th to 28th, Luther Ranch in Tallapoosa, Georgia. A good time will be had by all. Anything to add to that, Bubba? I just want to say a a preliminary thanks to Bishop Kevin Strickland and the Southeastern Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church for giving us a bit of seed money to to get this off the ground. And that uh, will be on their website, too, as soon as we get the link put together by what is Novus Way Ministries, runs uh, Luther Ranch, Luther Ridge, Luther Rock, Luther Springs. If it's got Lutheran Luther in Stein. the southeast of yeah. the United States, it's probably run by Novus Way. And, uh, yeah. So, Great. Uh, we thing. appreciate those two folk, those two organizations for yes. helping us get this. Absolutely. Off. Thank you, Bishop. We appreciate that. I'm bringing a couple of bishops myself to this retreat, yeah. and uh, we'll say more about that. But y'all come join us. Bubba, I've enjoyed it. Good stuff. I don't reckon there's much left uh, for us to do today. 
other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Wonderful hymn, Have Faith in God, number 400. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps, performed by Half.Cool. We go out today with a great gospel hymn sing song. This is Have Faith in God. B.B. McKinney, a great Baptist hymn writer, is uh, the writer and composer of this tune performed at Wednesday night prayer meeting of the Southwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. with me. Have faith in